I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. And to be the mentor that I wish I had had is, is really incredible. I love doing it, and I, I learn a lot from them. This is BIPOC Credits, a podcast highlighting BIPOC crew members working in the BC film industry. Listen in to stories from behind the scenes of your favorite films and TV shows. Together, let's celebrate the progress we've seen so far in becoming a more diverse film industry. Plus, learn how you can be a part of the BC film industry. Here's your host, Andy Wong. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of BIPOC Credits. Our guest today has worked on some of my favorite films to make its way to the theater in the last five years. Most notably, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Maritza Lewis is an indigenous visual development modeler and concept sculptor. In this episode, Maritza talks about the different types of roles in animation. She gives some great insight as to how to get into the industry and what it's like working with bigger companies. My favorite part about the episode is how inspiring she is talking about advocating for yourself and working towards more indigenous representation in the VFX and animation industry. Finally, she talks about her role in Rise Up Animation, where she mentors up and coming artists. She talks about so many great resources on this episode that you definitely don't want to miss out on our newsletter where we share all the resources she talks about. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Maritza Lewis. Thank you so much for coming on to our show, Maritza. Thank you for having me. You, you mentioned earlier that you uh, were able to talk about what your name and your language is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll introduce myself. Yeah. Uh, 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 Hello, uh, um, good day, all my relatives. Uh, my name is Marisa Lewis, uh, for the Star Woman Clapping Hands. My mother was Florina Joseph. Uh, she was from the Shemethic Nation. Uh, you might know it more as uh, the Kamloops, uh, Chuchua area. 
Uh, my father was Clarence Mike Lewis Clapping Hands of uh, Sealth Nation, uh, more commonly known as the Okanagan. And uh, I'm really happy to be here. Um, excited to share with you today. There's, there's so much to talk about, and uh, I'll try and keep on point. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm so excited because I I know so little about like the animation department, and it's something that I've always been really fascinated by. I didn't actually say what I do. Sorry, uh, I'm just all excited. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm a visual development modeler, uh, primarily focused on character work, and I've been working in the animation, visual effects, and uh, games and game cinematics uh, industry now for about over 17 years now. And uh, currently, I work at Walt Disney Animation Studios here in Vancouver. For sure. Um, of all the of all the really cool projects, which one would you say is your favorite that you've worked on? The correct answer is supposed to be the current project that I'm working on is my favorite project. But yeah. uh, I don't know if I think I, I've worked on so many productions and so many shows. I don't know if I could pick just one, but the ones that are really memorable to me are the ones where I really get to work with the designers, the directors, and, and share and collaborate and, and work together and problem solve, uh, you know, visual problems in the design and, and to kind of bring those to life. and. Uh, those are probably some of the most fun ones. I, I worked on uh, DC Super Pets and you like uh, that recently just came out and, you know, getting to work on some of the iconic, uh, you know, comic book favorites of my childhood. That was really cool and exciting. Like, I, I love that aspect of it and getting to work with the designers. They were so, so incredible and so uh, knowledgeable and they shared so much information and I'm really looking forward to that on the, my current production that I'm working on with Disney, which I can't share. But, you know, it, th those are kind of the really the fun parts. And I think um, that's something that you're always kind of chasing in this uh, in this job that I do, you know, as like um, a visual development modeler slash concept sculptor is that you getting to do that kind of problem solving. And it's it's just fun. It's like you do the brain tingly, happy joy of, of like creating. and uh, Yeah, right. Sometimes you don't talk to the directors and it goes through the chain and it comes through different ways and then you're working with your lead to create the vision for what they want. And, you know, sometimes you get like very complicated, um, uh, really thought out designs where they are super specific on things and they want each plane change to be this and this. And other times it's a very loose drawing and they're like, go nuts, bring it, bring me back something cool and we'll go from there. It sounds like there's a lot of flexibility in like, you know, what you might expect in, you know, working in this position. Um, sometimes it can be incredibly creative or sometimes it, um, you're just like, you know, working with an already designed element. Which, which one do you, do you prefer doing? Like, do you prefer doing <laughs> super creative one where you can yeah, like, go crazy and do, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because like early on in my career, I got a lot of designs where it's like, these are the orthographic views. This is the front, back, side, three quarter. Follow this to the letter. Don't deviate. Even though we know that, um, you know, orthos, the common knowledge, they're really hard to get exact and translate to 3D. Uh, I worked with a couple artists. So what's orthos? Oh, sorry. Or, uh, orthographic. They're like orthographic images or turns. So hmm. it would be the front design, the side design, the three quarter. Um, there's not really usually a back, so the back is something that you can kind of uh, add your yourself. It, it, it's to remove the guesswork of what they want, and it's like the, a lot of their process. So, like sometimes there are there are moments like that where it is very like, please follow this. We 
you know, like, and, and you do have to appreciate that because there's a lot of thought that goes into these uh, characters and, um, you know, the, the characters the, and the designs themselves, they tell a story and from all the littlest details, like you're, you're going through it and you think of the costuming that goes into them and the expressions, the, the hair, the eyes, everything, the features. Can you talk a bit about what the animation pipeline looks like? It's like a team. It's in a, it's, you know, some places it might be like an assembly line, other places it might be more a collaborative flow. And you have multiple departments taking uh, a, an asset or a character and or the actor, if you want to call it that way, and then it puts it through the pipeline. So it goes through multiple departments. So not one person is responsible for, you know, the success or the failure of an entire production. Like it, that's, that's kind of like, you know, the beauty of that is that it's so collaborative and I think that's something that that's kind of really great about the, the pipeline so you can have story viz dev um you know concept all kind of happening at the beginning and then going into asset creation where they're built where, where we build the, the actual characters and then it goes down the line even further and each time going down the line further it's you're putting more life into it so mm-hmm. that it goes into um, surfacing, you know, where it's applying the, the color and the, the look and the details. And then rigging, that's putting the bones into the to the creatures or to the sets and making things move. Um, and then to animation, you know, which is commonly where a lot of people just think about and like animation. They're like, the animator does everything. And you're like, no, not really. <laughs> you know, for the longest time, I like trying to explain to my folks what I do. And they're like, oh, animation. Yeah. Okay. That's nice, dear. Uh, um, yeah. We support you. It's good. I don't think a lot of people actually know what animators have to do on the computer. Oh yeah, there's so many different kinds of jobs. Yeah, like you you look at it, and you know, I think a lot of people um, forget that you know there's other people that that are doing the work there. Like writers are in there as well, um, production managers, production coordinators. Uh, who who do you think puts all the schedules together and and does all the budgets and applies for all the grants and does all the things and and who who else does the sound and the editing you know it is very much like film but it is a little bit different where you know it is you open up a a 3d software package and it's a blank space a blank canvas so you have to create everything within it you know which is wonderful and also overwhelming because you have to make this entire space this entire world do you uh split up certain parts of the character is there like a like for example like a like a skeleton department and also like like a a flesh department oh it's so different um like if you look at uh animation like feature animation uh where you can have a lot more specialists so a specialist could be one person could just be doing the cloth simulation and the cloth setup another person could be doing the muscle systems within it another person could be doing the rigging or those jobs could be combined, you know, and then there's other departments where um, you'd even break down animation into different parts of like technical animation and uh, more like acting. So it's actually really kind of interesting too, within, even within, um, you know, once animators get to a certain level, they really kind of start leaning towards different directions of like, some people are really great at um, capturing uh, emotion in their work and other people are also just really good at doing action. You know, so it, it varies for those kinds of artists. Uh, I myself am not an animator. And thank goodness I'm not because I'm terrible at it. And I, I would have no patience for it because you're you're setting keys and you're doing things. And 
Right. Um, yeah. So it's kind of like you ever see stop motion where you see them and they they move it, they pose, they take a picture, they move it, they pose, they take a picture. It's similar ish, but not as time consuming as that uh, in animation where an animator will work on the computer and move it, and they have um, more tools to modify those set images across. But but just to know that there are different levels of, of animation and different styles in the same way that there are different styles of um, of productions. Like so if you go to say visual effects, some visual effects studios would prefer you to be a generalist. So you do a little bit of everything. So you can animate, you can model, you can rig, you can composite. Like there's so it really depends on the company that you work for and the type of job that you want to work in. Which is actually really cool because that means that uh, for whatever kind of role that you want or you feel that you fit best in, there's definitely a job for a person like you. Like if you want to do a little bit of everything, you can go for those jobs. Or if you want to get really good at this one thing and just be like the best at the best of that, you can do that. And uh, it's actually really cool. How many other places can can really specialize that on Team's degree? How does one get into animation do you, do you have to go to school for it or is it better to um i guess create a portfolio i think there's a, a place for everything i think if you're wanting to work internationally a school degree is is useful because they often require you to have a degree uh or talent you know <laughs> if you got talent and you can just show showcase that in a portfolio a uh, portfolio is a uh, is king if your portfolio really does demonstrate a wide uh, set of skills and you really have potential, I think a lot of places can teach you the different systems. Like I've worked at so many different studios now and, uh, you know, they all have different ways of working. And it, it is just about a matter of those core skills and that ability to see things and replicate it and to add to it and to make it better. You know, those are skills that you need to take with you. Uh, for going to school, like I went to school, um, uh, actually, I'm a university dropout, fun fact. Uh, I thought that you had to go to uh, art school first and do a four-year program, and then I could go to a technical school and do that. Uh, no, definitely not. That is not something that has to be happened. Like, you don't have to do that. Uh, after one year of uh, kind of being in the fine arts program, I realized um, this was probably going to be the longest route possible to what I wanted. And I was writing essays about books, about things that weren't necessarily going to be useful for what I needed to do. And I would have lost three or four years of working actually in the industry. And, um, you know, I, I, I left that program. Uh, I think it's for some people, but that's not, it wasn't for me. I, I learned very well in that, that atmosphere. Like you're, you're writing about learning. You're not actually doing the work so it was kind of frustrating um but i went to a trade school and i did a condensed one-year program and it was an intensive on everything to do about you know animation and the software and just kind of giving you a crash course of like (laughs) you know your brain just explodes with all these things and uh, i hadn't um i never owned a computer before um nobody i knew had a computer (laughs) (laughs) that was part of it yeah 
Well, like, I, I used a computer at like my aunt's house and stuff like that. And, you know, back in old ICQ days of learning how to type and stuff like that. And, but I never had access to any of the software or anything at that time. And there really wasn't um, a space for, for people like myself to learn. But, uh, but I did take the, that kind of leap into that role and it was great. And would you say that your experience in the technical school really helped you get foot in the door in the industry? You know, do your grades matter? Not necessarily. Uh, but does the actual final outcome matter? Yes. Your right. portfolio, it does help you develop the like soft skills of working with uh, other students and, and your peers. Like your peers are going to become your colleagues. And um, God, I remember like we had like a real talk uh, meeting or whatever at the school and um, in one of the classes and they're like, okay, look around you. It was like one of those serious moments. They're like, there's 30 plus students of you in here. And only four of you, maybe five, are going to get a job. And it was just like some real talk. And you're like, oh, dang. Okay. Well, looking around at um, the other kids in the school and and seeing the experience, like some of them had already been using the software. Some already knew about animation. Some already had done like projects or, or had like a technical mindset already Uh you know, they had that ability. And so I knew I really had to buckle down and, and deep dive into it. And that helped a lot. Now you're like one of the five people that got school with the job. Oh, man. Yeah, it's weird. Like, actually, it was scary true how much of them that were in there. Like, there were some people that were in, in it and had all the technical skill set and are just pieced out of the industry because they just, it wasn't for them. And other ones I know that are you know, uh, some of my classmates are now CG supervisors at large visual effects houses, and we're still friends to this day. Do you mind uh, talking about why some of your other, like, classmates decided to get out of the industry? Yeah, you know, uh, this industry, it's, it's different for everyone. Like, I think everyone comes into it with different expectations of what they want to do or what they want to achieve. You know, for some folks, they come in and they make it to that, that role and that one thing, and they're like, done i reached that point i'm good i'm out yeah i got i got my little credit on the screen i'm good or they're like huh this isn't what i thought it was going to be interesting and then they don't explore it any further or try and change it laterally or um you know it is a technical field and as well as an artistic field so you do need to learn the new technology as it comes forward and some people are not comfortable with that kind of uh, change or having to adapt yeah. Or needing to apply, you know, like in the early years, um, it's a contract, it's a contract based industry, right? Generally speaking, you know, there are roles where you can get full time positions. Um, currently, I'm in a full time position, but like, not everybody has that opportunity. Like, I've, I've gotten these, I've gotten more experience. But, you know, some some folks want uh, a little more long term stability or uh, they want to stay at the one place. I mean, it takes you a long time in order to get to the point where you actually can have that stability. I think it depends on the studio. Like some studios, like for example, if you look at visual effects, a lot of visual effects based uh, companies are contract because the productions are, are so short and you might get uh, an extension with an extension with an extension that might be extended to update degree. And some people aren't cool with that. Um, but other people are fine and it doesn't bother them. They're more flexible and open to it. Um, I, I think you're also being compensated fairly for that too, though. So like with those contracts, 
Because if you look at it in the in regard to um, say I stayed at one place for the last seventeen years, uh, and I got in at my junior salary, I probably wouldn't have advanced very far from that salary to now. So doing contract work does allow you to um, adapt, get better, learn more, learn more styles, learn more techniques, and uh, also increase your salary as you move along. Um, but it really isn't, you know, money-based for me. It definitely is more project-based. And the focus for me is more, is that project going to be exciting? Is it something I really want to work on? So do I get really jazzed about it when I hear about it and I want to I want to be in there and I want to be doing that type of work and I really want to try that style or I hear that the pipeline there is so great and they worked really well with this sort of thing. I want to try that. You know, that's usually the motivating um, factor for me when I go for looking for more work. Now that you're working in a more full-time capacity, are you able to choose your own projects this way? I think you can definitely voice your your interest in a project. So like say I want to work on project A, but my skill set is really best better suited for project B and project A is a bit of a reach for me, uh talent and skill wise. So uh if I really express that clearly to production, I think that's really important. I think that's something that they actually don't teach you enough in school is to uh, advocate for yourself and the type of work that you want to do. So what would you say the highlight of your career would be so far? I got to work on, on a production, a game actually for, uh, it was Indigenous. It was an Indigenous game that was uh, written by an Indigenous writer, designed by an Indigenous designer. And then I got to come on board and create the models and help build the pipeline for the characters. And up until that point, um, doing this job for as long as I've done, I have not once previously before that had the opportunity to actually create an Indigenous character. And it was amazing because then you're focusing on not a stereotype of a character of an indigenous person. You're actually going for the readability of the character. There's just so many more um, diverse stories that are coming out that people can get excited about. Um, people who are, you know, BIPOC and are of that culture, you know, it's just going to get better from there. Absolutely. So, you know, the really kind of cool part about all that is, too, is that now you're having stories being told um, you look at series that are coming out, like with uh, Reservation Dogs, uh, Rutherford yeah. Falls, Prey. Um, you know, these are all live action shows. Um, and I'm, you know, that are really kind of advancing the story. They're, you know, they're indigenous stories told through the indigenous lens and with indigenous writers and actors on screen and behind the scenes. You know, that's freaking amazing. I am so excited about that. And uh, every time I see it, I'm just like a like an obnoxious cheerleader about it. And I, I really yeah. want to see that happen for, you know, for animation. And I definitely feel like there's a space for it. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. And Absolutely. it just makes it, yeah, it, it, there's there's a hundred ways to do this. And, you know, that's when we get more, more indigenous creatives into this industry, that they are at the table advocating for representation. You know, why, why if someone may not be comfortable including an indigenous character because they don't know. They don't know them. They may not know them, but they may also like not realize that they do know them. I've had that happen to me at studios where they're like, I didn't know you're indigenous. I thought you were a mix of this and this. And you're like, yeah. no, man, thanks. But no, they're like, but your name, your name, it sounds very this. And I'm like, yeah. well, okay. Uh, I don't get to pick my name. You know, I, I have my, my given name and my name comes from um, actually uh fun fact from my aunts um ran away from residential school and they ran away down to the states and they worked in the apple orchards and uh they you know worked with a young girl who came from peru and her name was marisa and so when my mom was uh having me and they're like oh what name should we give her elizabeth or marisa oh marisa that sounds good and then my last name you know like a lot of indigenous people, you, you know, you look at their names and they don't, don't sound indigenous. We don't have like two feather or <laughs> whatever people think that we're yeah, going to have. Yeah, think it is, yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, stands with bull or whatever. You know, it's what people, it's like an idea of these things back then. Yeah. And a lot of times also, a lot of folks don't realize that a lot of names were the Indian agents' names. So in Canada, we had Indian agents that made you pick a name. And that had to be your your Canadian name. Right. And then that would be moving forward. And a lot of times Indian agents would use their own last name. So that's why you have some some a lot of native people that have similar last names. Sorry to meander on a little little journey there, but like, you know, it, representation behind the screens on and on, you know, on screen is really exciting because I do think those are the people that if you're not there at the table when they're having these conversations, hey, 
what about this character? Does this character have to be this? Or like, there's only three acceptable minorities that we can have. I'm not going to name them because it's not worth naming. Yeah. But like, we can have one of these three and they can only be this shade. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like that, well, those conversations I had like, you know, five years ago or more, uh, yeah. like in, in meeting rooms. And you're just like, uh, well, what about this minority? And they're like, hmm, hmm, maybe not. Uh, let's, let's not really? do that. And no. so, yeah, it is kind of, yeah, it's interesting. It's changing though. Now it's very, yeah, since, well, five years ago, yeah. Because, um, yeah, I, I guess, like, those people aren't, those kind of conversations don't happen as often anymore because people are more open to the diversity of um, of other cultures. Oh, absolutely. And I think they're more open to actually hearing more honest portrayals of those cultures yeah. and more modern versions of it, you know. Yeah. I think that's something that I'm really excited to see uh, being for now you know cultural consultants like that's a thing now that never used to be a thing it's like right. let's take this and this and mush it into this and then we'll make this new thing and then we won't offend anybody you're like well now now you've made it a monolith and you've offended everybody so maybe <laughs> let's not do that let's let's try and actually do our research and go into this like if you can research the clothing on blah 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 of the 80s and it'd be very specific to the 80s and that attire then you can do a little bit of history uh research onto like what actual uh, nationality you're you're wanting to portray or have on screen? Like I, yeah. I have uh, so much faith in you know the creatives out there to do the research. And you know, whenever I get into a character or anything, I get so excited about it. I go up and I scour the internet for all the things about it, and I start learning about all of the names of these pieces. Like I worked on the Lunar Lander like a while back, and I was so excited to geek out and like crawl through all the images and look up all the names and look at all the different pieces and try and figure out what they meant and how they worked and you know same thing with animals when i get like a opportunity to work on an animal i'll work on them and i'll i'll do all the research and find out all kinds of stuff about them and they'll be like okay now i feel informed and i can execute this in a in a good way so you know i think that's being a, a you know a conscientious uh, creator yeah um speaking of uh, having a seat at the table um, in order to, I guess, talk about um, diversity and, and uh, getting the authenticity with uh, different cultures. Um, can you talk about your involvement with Rise Up Animation and how uh, how you got involved and what, what is Rise Up Animation? I think it's been about two plus years now-ish. And I've, I've had um, a great opportunity to work with an organization, uh, Rise Up Animation to volunteer uh, my time to work with BIPOC um, uh, students, um, professionals wanting to seek out uh, more kind of support and mentee mentorship role of looking at their portfolios, looking at their resume, uh, answering any kind of questions they might have, um, supporting them on what they're doing to help develop their portfolio, looking at different job opportunities. and kind of expanding what their thoughts are on where they might want to apply to, you know. And it's been so rewarding doing this work because um, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, why, why am I, why, do, why is it important and why do I really like it? And, you know, their first thought is, well, I just like it. I really enjoy it. It makes me feel good. And I, I feel really happy when, I, when I'm done a mentee session. Um, and I was thinking back to this, um, this kind of story that they had in the community where, the elders and the youth were separated for 
you know, colonial reasons and there was this divide, like they weren't interacting the way that we traditionally used to, where the elders and the youth would be together and, you know, the elders would be able to share their knowledge and, and pass this on and uh, share their attention. And um, the youth were able to share their stories and to feel heard and to look and to look for knowledge to be passed, you know, uh, from the youth to the elders, to the elders to the youth. And I feel like Rise Up is kind of like a situation in a mentee um, kind of role, mentee mentor, is right. that I feel, you know, uh, this job can be tiring uh, sometimes. And you can kind of forget like a little bit of the magic of, of what it is because you're, you're doing it so much and it is a job. But at the same time, like I do get, I am very excited about the work I do. And there's, there's definitely a reason why I do it for this long and why I really want to keep doing it for a lot longer is that um, it's like, exciting what we do. And so I feel like when I started doing the mentee work um, and working with the different mentees that uh, I was learning a lot from them about how excited they were at the prospect of getting their first job or uh, expanding their current role into something else. I mean, they want to transition from one industry to the other and they wanted to know how to do that. And I never thought of like all this, uh, knowledge that I had it could be useful for something like this and uh, to be able to help them give them a boost up and to be the mentor that I wish I had had uh, is is really incredible and it's um, I love doing it and I, I learn a lot from them and I feel like they kind of like because you can kind of get like a little little bit of a tarnish over the years of like yeah. oh, I'm so tired because you work such long hours too, right? Like that, you, like each day is like you know twelve to thirteen hours at least, right? Not anymore. Not anymore. Not anymore. Okay. <laughs> not <Right>. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like I used to work those kinds of hours, you know, early on, and uh, not anymore. And now it's an eight-hour day. Okay. Okay. But also because of the pandemic, it makes it possible to work on over Zoom and to connect with these. Uh, these mentees that are in different parts of the country from different cultures, from different areas, and to really support a lot of our BIPOC population and to give them uh, help and to give them a sense of community. Like, I think that is something that does kind of happen as a, as a, when you're starting this industry that you might feel like a minority and that you might want to connect to your community. And this is a really good way to do that too, to find that kind of support and encouragement to continue and to keep going. I don't really get a lot of Indigenous youth or, or young at heart that are in the program. And I really hope to see that change. Um, Why do you think there's not that many Indigenous kids wanting to be in animation? Uh, I think there's there were several barriers in place before. You know, like I said, um, when I was growing up, I didn't have internet and um, I didn't have computer or access to software or, or any of these kinds of things. And or even transportation, you know, like. On my first day going to school, like <laughs> my mom, you know, great woman, she drove me to school and our little res bomb said, um, you know, from Vernon to <laughs> Vancouver, it should only be about six hours, but it was such a beast of a car that it kept overheating all the time and we'd have to like crank the, the heat in it to try and cool the engine down and we had to keep pulling over and let it cool down. And, yeah. You know, and uh, we eventually I made it there and I made it on time for my first class. And, uh, you know, going, going to a city like, you know, back in the day, 
you had to come to a larger city to do the work and be in part of the industry because that's where the industry was because remote work wasn't a thing. Um, so I do think there are like, you know, some minor financial barriers in place, some awareness uh, barriers. Um, also that some of these places require, do want you to have four years of training. Not everybody can take four years of school and, and do that, you know. Right. Or also the funding might also only be geared towards more traditional practices and more classical artwork. Like for me myself, I had to take out, people think that, you know, all Native students get their tuition, everything paid for. Not true. Uh, I had massive student loans when I first started and it took me, you know, quite a while to pay them off. Um, so I didn't get it for free. Like yeah. I had to work for mine. And, you know, like, but now I think it's different now where, mm. There are so many more opportunities and places are starting to look at it for more practical knowledge skill sets. You know, there's some kids that, you know, come up, uh, you know, up off the reservoir in the city and they have they have the skill sets. They, they have attention to detail, like doing the beadwork requires like attention to detail, focus and planning. Those are transferable skills. You know, right. some of these kids uh, are, you know, do carving and that's all transferable. I'm like essentially digital carver is kind of what I do. And, you know, I think there's a place for all of these youth to come in now, like online, like you can take these classes online now, all you need. Um, I think getting more secure internet networks to some of the reserves, like, uh, I think that's really useful and helpful, um, showing them that there's a lot more opportunities in these career fields other than just that one job that they think it is. Um, but it's also, I think sometimes the funding would only focus on these older practices to keep us in these spaces of the past but i i think now also that the programs are more accessible software there's a lot more software that's free for uh for people to try at home so i'm actually really excited yeah absolutely um do you have any personal projects that you're working on that you want to share you know it's kind of funny that's the other thing too i think we we spoke previously about um what do they don't teach you in school and it was like personal projects are really important to keep you going um don't yeah don't wait for somebody to give you permission to do work if you want to work on that character do that character you want to go on that style work on that style and uh honestly a lot of my work my current contracts and stuff like that that i had gotten were also not only because of the the big shows that i worked on or worked towards getting uh but also were the personal products i was working on and the the type of work I was creating there. And I think that really kind of shows where your interests are and where your skills and you're growing. So yes, I do have a personal project. Um, I kind of always have like one going in the back burner. And uh, more recently, I was kind of the long-term goal is, uh, I guess I say a pitch for uh, kind of a slice of life piece for, for my reserve and just kind of in that area. So I'm kind of working on that on the back burner in my own time whenever I get a chance and to also just keep working on personal projects and to keep mentoring. I actually, uh, aspirational goal of mine is to actually set up a workshop for some of the youth at heart to um, try some of the software and to get a little, little version of a character themselves to play with and to animate and see if they, uh, you know, to break down and demystify some of this stuff and to be like, if I can do it, you can do it. We're going to end it here today. But um, before we leave, uh, I'd love to ask you some uh, rapid fire questions I ask everyone. Uh, what's, 
What what is the worst advice you were ever given? Don't become a character modeler. You'll never make it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True story. It was from a teacher and he was a jerk. Yeah. Well, now you're showing him. <laughs> <laughs> I think he was just having a bad day. I don't know. Yeah. Um, what's the best advice you were ever given? Don't listen to him. Don't listen and to him. Keep going. <laughs> you have to listen to him. Keep going. Well, he's great. Yeah, just whatever. You want to do it, do it. Uh, I'd say also take risks. Uh, take risks in the knowing that if you get comfortable, it's probably not the best spot you want to be. If you're learning, you're stretching, you're growing. It's, it's what needs to happen. You know, you get a little bit of growing pains, but it's what makes you a better artist. It reduces that valley of suck that I think we go through as we're doing work. We're like, oh my God, I'm so terrible. I'll never get this. And then also you're like, oh, actually, that looks cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, this advice kind of comes at a good time for me because I'm kind of going through something like that myself. Are you? <laughs> I'm yeah. Like, I'm, oh, I'm a little too comfortable in. here. <laughs> that, kinda... that discomfort? Yeah. 100% is where you want to feel. Like that discomfort and that sense of unease, that means that you are stretching yourself beyond your comfort zone and growing. You know, yeah. and that you, you got to push past that to, to really grow your skills. And then you're just going to turn back and look. Yeah, it's, it's so tough. hard. Yeah. It feels it feels like you're like, am I doing the right thing? Should I be doing this? And I think trusting in yourself and your instincts and your abilities to do what you want to do and why you want to be doing it, keep that as a guiding force and just keep pushing. You know, you're gonna get there. Especially when you create something that like you really want to be good, but like no matter but because you're still, you know, learning, um what you create isn't to your to your to your standards um that oh, yeah. feeling is like a really really tough feeling to suck in <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there's a there's an amazing graph where someone does where it's like uh someone did it a long time ago and it, it's like this chart and it goes like you you and so what it is is like your your eye and your ability are two different things so your your eye to spot something good is up here, but your ability is here, and you're trying to get these to, to bounce together. But oh, okay. you know you're constantly learning, and you know that's one thing about this industry is that um, that you're constantly learning and you're growing. There's no like I am now at the top level. I do not need to learn anything. Oh, go sit down. You're crazy. You got so much more to learn because it, it yeah. just keeps changing. And that's the cool thing about being an artist is that. And I think that's what keeps this this job and this industry so interesting and engaging is that you are learning and growing. And if I look back to where I started, I'm really like, whew, rough. Thank God I actually continued because otherwise that, that valley of suck would have got me and then I wouldn't have gotten back yeah. out. So keep going. Keep going. Just keep pushing yeah. on. Um, and then the, the last one is, uh, in your opinion, what does a more diverse film industry look like? Oh, that is a really good question. Uh, I say BIPOC, top to bottom at different levels. You know, I had a really great conversation with um, the uh, producer friend of mine, and she's wonderful. And she's talking about how you, you know, for me, success was not always about going into leadership roles. Um, I think that's a very colonial view of um, of, of see, seeing success. It's like to be successful, you have to be a director. You have to be the supervisor you have to be the ultimate um that's a very narrow view 
I think you are successful at whatever state you want to be at and you can make lateral moves in this industry and do different projects and still be at the same level, but you are growing as an artist. Like for me, that's success. And, you know, it's, it's interesting way to, to kind of explore it. But I think that having, um, you know, BIPOC representation at the various levels. So from the top to the bottom. Thanks so much, Maritza. This has been yeah. so much fun for me and so inspiring. Thank you for having me. Has this post up and I, you know, my heart is happy right now, and uh, want to say, Limnim, uh, uh, thank you for for having me. You know, it was really special. It's our absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Maritza. If you want to listen to more conversations about the visual effects and animation industry, check out my conversation with Robin and Sevilla last season, where we talk about his experience working visual effects and how that industry has changed in the last decade. As always, please go follow us on Instagram because our producer Nightingale consistently promotes upcoming events and opportunities for BIPOC crew members in the BC film industry. So check that out to stay up to date. If you missed anything on Instagram, we have an episodic newsletter where you can find all that information as well as additional information on our guests. As I mentioned, Maritza sent us a lot of great resources. So if you're hoping to get into the VFX or animation industry, go sign up and check out what we have. If you want to support our podcast, go leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us. But most importantly, share this with your friends who you think could really benefit from this episode. Maybe they could get inspired to tell their own stories as well. Hope you guys have a fantastic week and I'll see you on set. Thanks for listening to BIPOC Credits by Andy Wong. This episode was produced by Nightingale. Our editor is Rihanna Toy. Graphics by Joshua Lamb. Theme music by Peter Robinson and Patrick Fiore. Intro and outro voiceover by Mike Lee. Thank you to our community partner, culturebrew.art, for supporting us. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at BIPOC Credits. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, subscribe to our newsletter to get all the juicy information we didn't quite get to in this podcast. Thank you once again for listening to BIPOC Credits. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.